Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. All right, Harbor Church. This is a continuation of our series, the summer series, as we look into uh, the things in the Bible that remind us of stuff that's going on around us during the summertime. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, the pool party and how Jesus healed uh, the man at the pool of Bethesda and how, how that all played out. And uh, this weekend, what we're going to be looking at is a, a different aspect of, of the summer and our memories from the summer. This, this story takes place in the book of Kings, and I want to share this with you because I preached this to our core team a little over five years ago. Before Harbor Church got started, I preached this message, and it was the message that God used to change my heart about church planning. And so uh, five and a half years ago or whatever it was, there was like 10 original people at Harbor, 15 people maybe that heard this message. Um, and I've preached it at our uh, supporting churches. I'm at Grace Church right now recording this. Um, I preached it here at Grace Church and many of our supporting churches uh, that uh, I was at, uh, I, got to, I got to preach this message, but most of you have never heard it and it was so impactful for me. I wanted to make it a part of this summer series. It takes place in 1 Kings chapter 17. Now I'm going to break this story up into a couple of different pieces for you because it's it's a lot to digest, but it revolves around a character named Elijah. And this guy is a prophet of God. He's uh, He's got God's hand on him and he steps up and he does a very hard thing and it doesn't work out well for him. And that that kind of caught my attention and God used it to just to keep showing me more and more stuff from this same passage. So in 1 Kings 17, it starts with this. Now Elijah, who was from Tishba and Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there's not going to be any dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, Elijah sang this to the king, King Ahab, because King Ahab is a wicked man. He, he marries outside of the Israelites. He marries this Phoenician woman named Jezebel. And um, she is, man, she is evil and wicked. And she worships Baal and Asherah. And she she has all these false gods and she convinces King Ahab to reject God and to start worshiping her false gods. Well, this, of course, upsets God because he doesn't want us to worship anything but him. And so he sends Elijah to tell King Ahab, because of your sin, there's not going to be any rain. I'm going to bring a drought. The New Testament tells us that this drought lasts for almost four years. Uh, so this is a big deal. When Elijah pronounces this, he's pronouncing a, a very hard time, a famine a death over the Israelite nation because of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel's sin. Well, he says it, he steps up and he says it in verse one, and it doesn't work out well for him. It, as a matter of fact, the king and, and the queen decide they want to kill Elijah because he's representing God and he told them that they were doing wrong. They didn't want to hear that. So in verse number two, it says, then the Lord told Elijah, go to the east and hide by the Kareth Brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I've commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him, and he camped beside the Kareth brook east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. So that's the first six, six verses, and it reminds me, uh, especially verse 5 there, it says he camped beside the brook. And what, what is more summer than a camping trip? Uh, I don't know how many of you like to go camping. I love to go camping, especially up in Maine. That's my jam, just to get out in nature. 
and get away. Uh, I love being on a river or a creek and uh, just doing a little bit of fishing. And we see a camping trip in the scriptures, and I love that. So he camps by the, the Karethberg, but it's easy to read that and not think much of it. It's a miracle, one, because God commands ravens to bring food to Elijah. Like you may have overlooked that. That is a really, really cool story. These birds are bringing food and that's the only thing that Elijah has to eat. Now, when I heard that as a kid, I envisioned them flying in with a pizza or steak and potatoes and that's not what it looked like. Um, if you don't know ravens, they're scavengers. They eat roadkill. They'll eat anything they can get their hands on. So what they're bringing Elijah to eat and what he's drinking, he's drinking out of this little creek, this this brook, this, you can't call it a river. It's not much water at all, but he's there sipping from mud puddles and eating scraps of meat, roadkill, maybe some berries. I don't know what the ravens are bringing, bringing him, but they're not bringing him a lot. I don't know if you remember Monty Python. If they grab it by the husks, they could, two African swallows could bring a coconut kind of thing. It's, I don't know what a bird can carry, but he's not carrying much. So I thought about this and I wanted to stop on this idea of camping really quick. When I go camping, I try to remember everything and it's not even camping anymore. If you've seen some of these people on Instagram, they're not camping, they're glamping. You know, it's the, the most relaxed version of, of being outdoors. They're barely outdoors. They bring their RVs. I know some of you love to do this. They've got their soft beds and they've got all their stove and they've got air conditioning and man, I don't, I, I guess they're technically outdoors, but they're not even really outdoors anymore. Now, I don't do that, but I still like to have a chair instead of sitting on a log. I still like to have a hammock instead of sleeping on the ground. Uh, I mean, you know, I like to bring a cooler full of meat as opposed to, you know, scavenging or just eating the fish out of the river. You know, like I get the idea of, of having it comfortable, but man, Elijah, he teaches us what it looks like to live by faith, to scrape by. And so I want to say this word over some of you. Some of you are in this camping phase of the summer where you are barely making it. Maybe it's been a lot longer than the summer. Maybe for some of you it's been a year or two years. You've been scraping the barrel. Maybe that's financially. You don't know how you can you can pay the bills. You don't know where you're gonna get your next dollar. You don't know how, you don't know how you're gonna make it work. For some of you, you've been living on the scraps emotionally. You're, you're just barely hanging on there. Maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe it's in a relationship. I don't know, but you you understand and there's something that resonates in your heart when I say you're scraping by. See, this is why in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul writes, my God will supply all of your needs. You got to pause there for a second because uh, I know when I go camping, there's a lot of things that I want. You know, I want a softer pillow. I want air conditioning. I want there to be no mosquitoes. I want every time I throw my fishing line in the water to catch a fish. I want a lot of things. But what I need, that's that list is a lot smaller. But the Bible says that God will supply all of your needs. We might just need to check ourselves this summer and say, am I, am I upset that God isn't giving me all my wants? because that's a lot different. He said he would meet my needs. So what you need, God has for you. And if God is blessing you, celebrate that. And if you don't have everything you want, then maybe change your attitude and say, God, I know I want this, but do I need this? And I think Elijah had to go through a long period of this. And by the way, we estimate that he was there for at least a couple of years. 
So this wasn't like a two-day camping trip or a one-week camping trip. This is multiple years he lives by a brook, eating from the birds and drinking. But did you notice that it does this? the story continues on? I didn't read past verse 6, but verse 7, a lot of people just read verse 7 and move on. It says, verse 7, after a while, the brook dried up. And there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Now remember, Elijah had had declared there's not going to be any rain, no rain coming. And um, in the next verse, eight and nine, God calls him to move on. But that verse seven, when I was getting ready to start Harbor Church, God used verse number seven in an amazing way to, to shift my heart. And you might say there's not much to verse seven. Well, in verse seven, it says that the brook dried up and... I read that and it was like a light bulb went off because God God said, Josh, this is what I'm trying to do in your life. And I want to say this to somebody. I was a youth pastor uh, before I started Harbor Church, before I became the pastor of Harbor Church. And I loved youth ministry. I loved working with the teenagers. That was, that was my heart. That was my passion. I put almost 10 years into building a youth group. And man, God had blessed that youth group. Um, and then I felt like God was calling me to leave that. And I couldn't dis- I couldn't understand why, because it was the youth group, the youth ministry was something God had called me to. And then I felt it begin to dry up. And when I read this verse, it, it, it just spoke a truth over me that maybe some of you need to be set free. A lot of people like to, to misquote God and they're like, well, if God's calling you away from something, it's because that thing must be sin. That's not true. God does obviously doesn't want us to sin. If you're actively sinning, if you're actively going against God's best for your life, yeah, there's not a mystery there. Stop doing it. If you're, I mean, you know, if you're robbing banks on the weekend, stop doing that. That's not something God has to call you away from. That's something he said, don't do. But there are things that God has given us that are a blessing for a time that then he dries up and calls us away from. It wasn't a sin for Elijah to be at the brook. Who sent him to that river? Who sent him to that creek? Well, God. Verse number two, God sent Elijah there. God's not going to send Elijah into sin. So some of the things that God dries up in your life, it's not because it's sin. It's not because you've done something wrong. It's because God has something better for you. I hope some of you are making some noise right now. I hope somebody's enjoying this because some of the things that God is calling you to, is, is his next plan for you. It's his next step for you. So if you feel like he's beginning to shut a door in an area of your life, that's not his punishment. He's closing, he's closing a door so he can open up a bigger one. He's got better plans for you. So as God began to shut the door on youth ministry, something I love, something I was passionate about, something that he gave me, I was, I was so confused. I don't know if you've ever watched a river dry up. I used to live next to one. Uh, where the creek would run dry during the summer after the rain stopped coming. And so I got to imagine as, as Elijah is living off of this river, as he's like down on his hands and knees drinking water out of this creek, that over the course of a few weeks, it stops flowing as fast. And then over a, another month or two, the water starts to go lower and lower. And six months later, the water is not even moving anymore. It's now it's just a, it's just standing still. And a few more months, now, now it's gone down to puddles. It's just pockets of water. And then those puddles get smaller and smaller. And every time he goes down to get a drink, it's just a little bit less. And finally, in those last days, it's gone from, from puddles down to just mud. And he's digging in the mud just trying to get something to, to quench his thirst. Can you imagine what it was like to have that creek dry up? 
Can you imagine being on your hands and knees? Isn't it bad enough, God, that you're only giving me scraps? Isn't it bad enough, God, that I don't have what everybody else has? I, I did what you called me to do. I said the hard thing. I stood up to King Ahab and then you give me scraps and now you're you're taking away the little bit of water I have. See, for most of us, when we're in these kind of camping phases, we just get mad at God. We pout, we quit, we don't get what we want, and so we go home. But that's not how God works, and he calls us to step outside. Come on. He calls us to step outside of our comfort zone. And this is where he grows us. Now watch what happens after he drives up the brook in verse number 7. He then says in verse number 8, the Lord said to Elijah, verse number nine, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon that I, and I've instructed a widow there to take care of you, to feed you. God was calling him to Zarephath, but God had to dry up the brook in order to get him to go there. Now, a couple things. Zarephath is in Sidon. Sidon and Zarephath are like these two counter cities, which are both parts of Phoenicia. And if you remember at the beginning of the message, I said, there was a woman from Phoenicia that married King Ahab. Her name was Jezebel. She's the wicked, wicked queen. This is not an area of Israel that God is calling Elijah to. He's calling Elijah to enemy territory. He's calling Elijah to, to go into Jezebel's backyard. So this is not a place Elijah wants to go. So maybe God had to dry up the brook just to get Elijah to want to go there. Like Elijah may not have left that area, the brook of Kareth, before if the water was still running and everything was still taking care of him. Sometimes God dries it up because that's the only way to move you on. There better be some of you hard-headed people there shaking your heads going, yeah, that's, that's me, Pastor. I, amen and amen. Sometimes God has to do something. Besides just say, go to Zarephath, most of us won't go. But if it's dried up, now maybe we let go and we walk. But here's the thing I noticed about it. And this is the, the other part of of the summer tie-in. Any of you ever go on a, a long cross-country road trip? You remember the movie National Lampoons with Chevy Chase where they go to Wally World and they're in that station wagon? A lot of people think that's exaggerated. I grew up in one of those station wagons. As a, as a missionary kid, my family, and we were, there's seven of us. I was the middle of five kids. We would be crammed into one of those long station wagons. And man, we went all over the country. We went state to state. I mean, we crisscrossed the continent. I'd seen more of the United States as, as an eight-year-old than most people have seen in their entire lifetime. But I looked at it all backwards. I got that lucky seat that faced backwards in the station wagon. Why they did that, I don't know. But me and one of my brothers, we just looked backwards the whole time. We never knew where we were going. We only knew where we just left. We would see a sign and it said, you know, you're now entering South Dakota. And we're like, we were in South Dakota? You know, like we didn't know because we just watched it all backwards. And these road trips... The bane in my existence. This is long before you got to have Game Boys and PSPs and everybody's car now has like built-in TVs. What What is that crap? Like we just looked out and counted telephone poles. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, oh, okay, there's 28, 29, and you lose count because you made yourself sick or playing license plates games or something like that. Back in the day, some of you know what I'm talking about. Back in the day when road trips were just the worst. This is what God is calling Elijah on without the station wagon part, okay? The National Lampoon's cross-country, he calls him to leave this area near the Jordan River. And most scholars believe that roughly where they think Elijah would have been camping out to where the ancient city of Zarephath is, was located was about a hundred miles. 
There's no Uber. There's no calling a buddy for a chariot ride. He is an outlaw, a refugee. He is wanted by the Israelites, and he's heading into enemy territory. He's doing so during a three and a half, almost four year drought, and he's walking through the desert to get there. Think about that kind of a road trip. God calls him to leave the relative safety of a brook where he was being fed by ravens. Now, by the way, I think halfway through that trip, he's like, I wish I hadn't complained so much about the ravens. Like, I wish I hadn't whined so much about drinking from the brook. I would give anything to be back at the ravens and the brook. And sometimes that's where you and I need to learn our lesson about how much we whine and complain. But God takes him on this journey through the desert, a hundred miles, a hundred miles. Now, God has got something awesome he's going to do when, when Elijah gets there. But in the middle of that trip, how many of you right now listening to me are in the middle of a hundred mile trip? Don't give up. Could you imagine if Elijah around the 75 mile mark was like, that's it, this sucks, I'm out. Can you imagine if he somewhere along the way said, I'm... I, I can't handle this anymore. If God calls you to take a journey, it may be one of these these road trips that last forever. And you might be going, Pastor Josh, I've been on a trip what seems like years and years and years and it I'm still struggling. I'm still I'm still walking. I don't know. Some of us have given up halfway through our trip. We turned our backs on God. Some of us sat down and we pouted and we said, this, this isn't for me and I can't do it. What I'm telling you is God knows what you need and he is going to supply it. But maybe what you need is this journey. You see what's cool about the city of Zarephath is it was called this area where uh, Elijah's going, it was these two towns that were known for their metallurgy. Their, their, their biggest claim to industry was that they, they smelted things. It was called, one of the towns' nickname was a smelting pot, which is a, a pot you would put metals in and boil them and melt them down. So, you know, they take their necklaces, their earrings, they would melt it back down to get to that gold. Here's the thing about melting pots or smelting pots or refinement, if you will. You have to turn up the heat in, or, in order to melt down that metal. And the more heat you apply, the more impurities rise to the top. And as those impurities rise to the top, they scrape off that. Basically, it's like crud at the top. They scrape it off, and now you have a higher value of gold or silver or bronze or whatever it is you, you've got there. As you boil and you scrape off the, the crap, it just keeps boiling up and scraping it off. You just keep turning up more heat. And that's how you refine something. I don't think it's a coincidence that God calls him to the place of refinement and makes him go through a hundred mile journey. Some of you are going through a time of refinement. God right now is turning up the heat. It's a hundred miles. You don't feel like doing it. You don't know what's happening. You don't know why he's got you here. But as he cranks the heat, you continue to go, God, I, 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 I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take another step. I'm going to go another mile. Here we go. You know when they, when they actually have the, the product they want? And I, I found this by, by talking to some goldsmiths and reading some stuff on this. Back in the day before they had all the electronics and ways to test things, the way that a goldsmith would know that he had the refined product he wanted, it was after he scraped off all the crud, 
he would look down and he would see his own reflection. I think that's kind of cool when you think about our maker, our heavenly father, turning up the heat and scraping off the impurities. And as he refines us and as he calls us out of our comfort zone, he's just looking till he can see his own reflection. Till you and I stop, act, stop acting like the whiny versions of us and we start looking more like our savior because we're called to be more like Christ and less like ourselves. So he calls them through this, this road trip, if you will, and if some of you are going, I, I, I feel like I'm on that trip. I mean, amen, Pastor. I feel like I'm on that trip, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Remember, Psalms 119.105 says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You want to know what path God is calling you on. You want to know where the next mile marker is. You want to know what step to take. The book of Psalms is telling you, you open up God's word and you say, God, I don't know where this journey ends, but I know that you're walking me through something. So I'm going to hold your word. It's going to be a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And watch what happens with that 100-mile desert journey, that road trip. Now, what happens when he gets there? Let me, let me tell you the end of this story. Here it goes. He went to Zarephath in verse number 10. And as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, hey, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? Doesn't seem like a big request, right? Lady, I've been traveling for weeks through the desert. I'm really thirsty. A little water. And as she was going to get the water, he called after her. And he says, and could I have a bite of bread to eat too? Just, just a little bit of something. I haven't eaten or drank anything in forever. But you ever, ever notice that sometimes it's the straw that breaks the camel's back? Like you say something and then it's just like, they're like, Wah. watch what happens. She's like, can I just get a bite of bread too? Now remember, God said there'll be a widow lady at the gate wait, that I've commanded to help you. So he gets there and here's a widow lady gathering some sticks, which wouldn't have been uncommon. That's probably how she made her fire in the morning, you know, make some meals. And he sees her doing it. He's like, oh, that must be the widow lady that God promised me. I wish that God had promised me a, a stay in, you know, uh, a luxury hotel. You know, I would love to have a comfy bed and a swimming pool and, you know, a five-course meal. But if God's going to give me the widow lady, I'll take the widow lady and hopefully she can get me a drink of water and a bite of bread. He asked for it and it says, she said to him, I swear by the Lord your God. Now she could tell by his outfit that he was a prophet and that he was an Israelite and that she, a Sidonian, probably worshipped other gods. She goes, well, I swear by your God, preacher man. Hey, pastor, I, I swear by your God. I ain't got it. I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. Now remember, Elijah had pronounced this drought, which means there wasn't crops growing. And everything that did grow cost a lot of money. And so everybody's been going through this and he finally comes up to this widow lady and she's like, I ain't got it, man. You want bread? I, ain't, I don't have it. I've got just a tiny bit of, of flour and a tiny bit of oil and I'm gonna mix them together and make a tiny little cake for me and my tiny little son. I got too many tinies in there. But we're going we're gonna to have this little meal and then we're going to die because that's the end. It's the end. I've cleaned out every cupboard. I've, I've scraped together every, 
every piece of anything edible in our house and this is it. I'm going to gather these sticks, I'm going to make a fire, and then we're going to eat and die. You ever ask somebody something and then regret asking them? <laughs> He's like, hey lady, can I get a drink of water and just a, a little piece of bread? I swear, I ain't got it. I mean, there's negative people, but then there's like real Debbie Downers. Like, ah, that's it. This lady isn't just in a bad mood. This lady's suicidal. This lady's at the end of her rope. This lady is, she has no faith left. She's already sworn to her gods and her gods haven't gotten her anything. She's already been praying to all of her Phoenician Asherah poles and her beads and her rocks and her carved wood and she's prayed to everything she can pray to and now she's like I ain't nothing's worked so listen prophet I swear to your God that I ain't got it and I see this this meal that God provides you ever have one of those meals that's just man it's it's just awesome in the summertime I think the best meal to have is a picnic you go out for that if it all comes together whew, a barbecue or a picnic, even if you just pack sandwiches and take a hike, or if you cook out, she's been putting these sticks together. She's gonna she's gonna have a barbecue, but it's gonna be a tiny, tiny barbecue. And God uses it in a miraculous way. But before God does it, he's taken his servant, Elijah, through a refining process, remember? Kept him by the brook for a couple years, told him what it, taught him what it was what it looked like to live by scraps barely scraped by. Then he took him on a hundred mile journey of refinement through the desert. This road trip that pushed Elijah out of his comfort zone. And now Elijah stands before a widow, the widow that God had promised him, and this widow is ready to die. If I'm Elijah, I'm like, God, you, you messed up. God, where are you at? God, change her attitude, right? That's what we would pray. God, make them have a better attitude and be nicer to me. It's not what happens. See, Elijah turns in verse 13 and he says to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead. Do just what you've said. Do that whole go make a fire and make a sandwich thing. Not the whole die thing, but do the other part, the make a sandwich. But make a little bread for me first. You've got to understand, wow, this is pretty ballsy. He's like, hey, go ahead. I know you think you're going to die. I get it. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Make the fire. Make anything. But make me some bread first. Then he says this, and it, well, he didn't do it out of selfishness. He's teaching her something. He says, so make a little something for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. So she said, I swear by your God. And he goes, okay, I tell you what my God will do. I tell you what, I tell you about the picnic my God is going gonna, is gonna to throw for us. Here we go. There will always be flour and oil, olive oil, left in your container until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops go again. If you trust me, watch what God will do. Here's the end of the story, verse 15. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. And there was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had, as the Lord had promised through Elijah. She did what he asked her to do, but why? Because he looked in that moment and he said, I swear by my Lord. You want to talk about my God? You know that I have a faith that you don't have. Well, I swear by my God. I promise you that my God, the real God, the God who controls the rain, 
also controls the olive oil in your jar. He also controls the flour at the bottom of your container. Now, see, what you and I pray for is we pray, God, give me overflowing uh, you know, containers of flour and tons of oil and extra meat and all these things. And, and can you just make my purse overflow with gold coins? Can you just give me abundance, abundance, abundance? My God shall supply all of your needs. Your needs. There's a summer message for you in this. It's that God meets your needs. And what you need most, first and foremost, is a faith in him. Because if you're not willing to put your faith in God, then you're putting your faith in yourself. And you are not a good enough God. I love you enough to tell you that. You need a faith in God. And when you're willing to put your faith, your trust, your hope, your surrender in the person of Jesus Christ, the only one who could ever take away your sins, when you do that, he doesn't say that you'll win the lottery. He doesn't say that you'll have a Ferrari sitting in your driveway tomorrow. And he doesn't say that everybody at work will like you or that you'll grow six inches or that you'll have, you know, all, all the things that you've always wanted and the, the likes on Instagram and the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the whatever. Those aren't all promises from God. God says he knows what you need. He knows what's best for you and he'll supply that. And I, I want you to see the wording here. She took a step of faith because he demonstrated his trust in God and she was inspired by his trust in his God. And so she said, okay, let's see if your God can really do it. And it said there was always enough. Always enough. Some of you need to underline that in your Bible. There was always enough. God will always be enough. The world tells you you have to have more and more and more and more and more. And whatever you, whatever you get, you need more. You're never satisfied if you go the way the world tells you to go. But what God says is that when you trust him, there will always be enough in the bottom of the tank. It may not be the millions in your bank account that you're hoping for, but when you trust God and you allow him to work through your finances, there'll be enough. There'll always be enough. When you trust God to step out and go on a journey, a journey of refinement, there will be enough. He'll get you through it. Your gas tank may not be full, but he'll give you enough gas to get to the next place. When you step out in faith, you may not have all the answers you want, but there will be enough. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to trust that God's plan is better than your plan. And when you look at Elijah, you see somebody who modeled for us what it's like. Maybe you're the widow lady. Maybe right now in this moment, you don't trust God. You have your own gods. You have the, the things you've been praying to, the things you've been trusting in. You've trusted in yourself or your intelligence or you've looked to a false god, some other god. You've looked to, you've looked to anything but Jesus Christ and nothing is working for you. And what you need in this moment is to surrender your will and say, God, I'm going to trust you more. I'm going to let you be in the driver's seat. Make that decision right now. Here's what I'd like. I'd like everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. Just bow your head, close your eyes, and give everybody around you privacy. If you're the widow lady today, then in this moment right now, invite Jesus Christ into your life. If you'll be honest enough and say, Jesus, I need you more than I need me. Save me. 
Come into my life. Come into my heart. Rescue me. I need you. He will. If if you'll trust God enough to step out on a journey, it might be painful and it might not be ideal, but in this moment right now, and this is for anybody listening, if you claim a relationship with God and God is calling you to take a tough step, he needs you to trust him. Maybe he's calling you to step out and serve him, to make more of your time available to him. Maybe he's calling you to to love somebody that's hard to love, to forgive somebody that's hurt you and they've never asked for forgiveness, but you need to, to forgive them anyways. Maybe he's taking you on a journey of refinement where you stop with your bad habit, with the addiction you have, with the struggle you have. Maybe he's calling you to trust him with your finances where you begin to tithe and to give to him. Instead of to save for yourself, you say, God, here it is for you. You do with it what you want. Maybe God's calling you to have a hard conversation like Elijah had to have with Ahab. As I pray out loud, will you pray right where you're at? Whatever it is that God has put on your heart, will you ask him, God, give me the strength to do this, to respond with a yes, not with complaining, not with, not with whining, not with being upset, not with the quitting attitude that I've had in the past. God, help me get back into this journey. It feels like forever. I'm through the desert, but I don't know if there's an end in sight. God, help me. I want to keep going. God, give me the faith that other people see and respond to. Whatever you need to pray, you pray quietly as I pray out loud. Let's ask God just to do something in our lives so that we we can have the kind of summer, the kind of year, the kind of life that reflects him, not our broken morals, not our broken values. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for all you've given us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the story of Elijah. Thank you for the way you provide. God, even though it's sometimes it's just scraps, Lord God, it's the things that we need. It may not be what we want, God, but you know what we need. You know what's best for us. So in this moment right now, we lay down our desires and we say, God, your will be done, not ours. God, forgive us for the times that we're selfish. Forgive us for the times we complain. Let us Let us find joy even in the small scraps of life, God, because you said it won't be like this forever, that in the end we have a home in heaven where there'll be more than we could ever want or ever need. God, in this moment, as as so many people struggle through pain, through loneliness, through fear, through anger, God, through doubts and worry and grief, God, let us find a, a, a joy in you. Lord, I know there's so many people right now under the sound of my voice going through a journey, a journey that they want to give up on, a journey where they've sat down and quit, a journey where they've been discouraged. And God, I pray that right now for me and for every person listening, that we would get into that that journey, we would take another step, that we wouldn't give up, that we would get back in the fight, that we would pursue you and your best for us. God, help us. Help us to get to a place in our life where you can refine us and we can have a bold faith, a faith where we can proclaim that our God does the impossible, our God rescues, our God provides. Help us, Lord, to get to the place where we know that there will always be enough. It may not be all that I want, but there will always be enough when I put you first and I trust you. God, help me remember that. Help us remember that. Let that be our prayer. Lord, whether it's the person who right now is praying to accept you and to trust you and to invite you in for the very first time, 
or God, if it's for the person who has quit that needs to get back into it, needs to get get close to you again, needs to start trusting you, start living for you, wherever we may be, Lord, would you use this passage to inspire us? Would you use this passage to open new doors for us? Would you use this passage, Lord God, for us to find your will and to have your best for our life as we surrender to you? We ask this, we pray this, and we claim this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.